Hello, everyone. Welcome to C-Suite Talks. We speak with industry leaders, introducing you to some of the most interesting people and businesses today. We are focused on women, money, and power, as well as diversity in all areas. Welcome to C-Suite Talks. I'm Diane Gubin, co-CEO of C-Suite, along with... I'm Beth Hilbing, co-CEO of Sweet Suite, and welcome today. And this week, we're speaking with Lacey Leon McLaughlin, president of LLM. And Lacey is an executive coach and the president of LLM Consulting Group, Inc. For over 20 years, she has coached leaders across all industries, including aerospace, automotive, entertainment, finance, retail, and technology. That's quite a span. Um, She specializes in teaching management skills to creative talent within entertainment, music, media development, and production. Welcome, Lacey, and thank you for coming to C-Suite Talks today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And Lacey has been an instrument to C-Suite and really helped us getting us some of our great leadership that we've had with speaking and, and a panel that she helped put us together. So we really appreciate that. So thank you, Lacey. Of course, anytime. Yeah, thank you, Lacey. So, so Lacey, you do coaching and training and you've trained managers in all these different businesses. You went from aerospace to coaching Hollywood executives, showrunners, writers, directors, and producers. How did you make that switch and what has that meant? Yeah, so early in my career, I cut my teeth with engineers, uh, aerospace, automotive, so the Northrop Grumman's, the Lockheed's, the the Raytheon's of the world, Toyota, Nissan, all these companies in that world. Um, And I was working with really technically brilliant engineers. So these are people who, in their world, are the best at what they do. Well, great. Then they're promoted. Next thing, they're promoted to managing, driving, and leading people. Totally different skill set. <laughs> totally different skill set. Um, so it was a really, really great way in the coaching world to spend my years. And what I learned was, um, no matter how technically, functionally brilliant you are, the leadership stuff is still hard. It's hard because it is a different way of spending your time. You have to get comfortable doing your work through others. And that's not what made you successful most of the time. It was the technical functional stuff. So being in Los Angeles, um, being in Hollywood, I started working with studios on productions and I found the same thing to be true. I worked with creative, brilliant talent, whether these were people putting effects on the screen, writing scripts or acting in front of the camera, functionally, technically brilliant. Well, the more success they had, the larger their role became. And the more their roles became larger, they're in charge of huge amounts of people, budgets, leading, developing, and driving in the same way as those engineers. So there was way more similarities um, to both sets of functionally, technically, technically brilliant leaders than anyone would have guessed that I would have guessed. But it was a really nice transition to help me think about, here are people with a unique skill. They've been successful. They need to develop that skill and help bring it out in others, where you're at, whether you're at aerospace and automotive or you're creating content that goes out into the world. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I had a similar experience where I was successful in my um, IT management role, and then they asked me if I would take on an extra assignment, and it came with 300 people and, you know, four more direct reports. So I all of a sudden had 13 direct reports, 600 staff. And it's, it's a totally different mindset to manage that many people. Yeah. So what you're saying is they eased you into it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, really. And that's why Beth is so good at C-suite and keeping us going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's what we see happen all the time. You know, yeah. you were doing something really, really well, and now everything changes. And even the way success is measured 
it changes. You were measured on the success and the work that was coming from these 300 people, not what you put your head down and did yourself. Totally different. And so what I find, whether you're in aerospace, automotive, tech, finance, or entertainment and media, we're all really good at putting our heads down and doing the work. Then we're putting into the we're put into these larger roles. Companies expect that same level of success, and most of the time, particularly with the functionally technically skilled people, we're just not ready to go there. So I come in and I help them figure out what they want to do as a leader, what they want to look like, and how they show up. And um, 22 years have passed now, and it's been a great ride. Oh, that's wonderful. So how do you create culture? So whether it's in Hollywood or in a you know a corporate environment, how do you do that? Well, I don't create culture. I ask the questions <laughs> that allow organizations and leaders to create culture, uh-huh. right? So right. I think really it's about helping leaders become very thoughtful. What is the kind of environment that you want to work in? What is the kind of environment that you want your teams and your people to work in? I answer that question and then we step backwards. What does it look like? What does it take? How should you show up? What are the expectations of the people that work for you? And how do we hold people accountable when they deliver in that way that aligns with the culture and when they don't? So what's, how do you coach an entertainment executive versus an IT executive? What are kind of the differences in the nuances, if you don't mind my asking? Right, or CEO, any of it. So there, there's probably not a whole heck of a lot of nuance, really. I think it's just the output of their time. Um, so I think with entertainment folks, media, entertainment, music, all of those good areas, you know, recognizing that the creative and the output is driving so much of what they do and making space for that. Like, I can't forget about that when I'm coaching. If I forget about the content, if I forget about the output, if I forget about the passion that makes these people come to work every day and what they're putting out in the world, I get in the way from a coaching perspective. I think that feels a little bit less different, a little bit less so the case with IT or a CEO outside of more of those creative industries. Not that they're not creative, but they're creative in their own way, but they're it shows up in a different way. And I think it's because of what's going out into the world. I think people creating content, whether it's music, whether it's documentaries, whether uh, it's scripted or unscripted, they just approach work a little bit differently. So recognizing that nuance and making space for the creative in a, in a very real way. Hmm. And are you seeing generational issues in the workplace, particularly in Hollywood these days? Yeah. And so again, I would say probably less issues and more learning and opportunity for us to change things up a bit, right? I think that people that have come up in uh, media and entertainment, and actually in people have come up in a lot of um, uh, areas and spaces, we came up differently than the individuals coming up now. So you think about the Gen Z and Gen Y, uh, the millennials entering the workforce. And I want to know, and I want to work with an organization that has values that are consistent with mine. I want a boss who gives a damn about me. I want to be developed. I want opportunity. It's very much different than us just putting our heads down 30 years ago, working hard, and hoping to be recognized. Oh, for sure. The expectations of leadership is totally different. Totally different. Yeah, I was thinking about that as I've been following, you know, everybody's following Twitter and Elon Musk, and it's all playing out in the public, I, you know, public. And I was thinking back when I started, you know, you didn't question anything. You worked like crazy hours. You did whatever was asked of you and all of this. There was no work-life balance. Yeah. And whatever that means. And, um, but, you know, you do, you only get to live once. So you do need to make sure that it's a happy life. Yeah. I was working with a, a woman, a female leader recently, and she's in a very big job at a very big organization. And she was talking about a struggle she was having with an employee, another woman that she brought on that she was excited about. And I would say this person is particularly high potential. 
she's going to do great things. And I'm coaching her. So she gets to say what she wants to me without worrying about how I respond and react. Right. And she's like, Lacey, it's so frustrating. You know, she asks for all these things. She has all these expectations. She wants flexibility. And and I've had to be really hard on her um, about how she shows up and how she engages and push back. And I said, Oh, why? And she goes, well, because that's what happened to me. She's just, she's, she's, she's gritting her teeth. She's got to buy her time and she's got to cut her teeth the same way I did because that's what happens. And I said to her, and I stopped, I said, so how did that feel for you? How'd you like it? She's like, it was awful. It's awful. And I'm like, okay, so why do we want to replicate that experience? She sat there and she looked at me and she's like, you're probably right. I don't think I do but I haven't actually thought about it before. I said, so what would it look like if you didn't want her to have the same experiences and deal with the same hardships and go through the same hard lessons that you, that you learned early in your career? She's like, it would look very, very different. I said, okay, so what's the first thing you're going to do? She says, I'm going to go ask her what she needs and how I can, how, how we can get there. And it changed the way she led and managed. You know, I mean, it's early on still, but the first couple of months are looking pretty good. Um, but it changed the way she's managed. It's changed the way she's thinking about talent. And it's helping her work through her frustrations rather than saying they have to go through and do and experience what I experienced. It's like, let's recognize the pitfalls of what I had to go through. And it's lucky that I made it to the other side. And let's figure out how we can do it better. Yeah, I think that's good because I think women sometimes can be our own worst enemies. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Beth, Beth and I are doing a lot of exploration in this area. So so how are you, co- besides this woman, how are you coaching female executives in general? Like what are you hearing out in the zeitgeist? Yeah. So, you know, right now, following COVID, following sort of what we've impact, what we've, what we've experienced from a social perspective, what we've experienced from a political perspective, what we've experienced from hybrid working, all of those things, you know, I'm spending time with all leaders and it's not just women really helping them show up and be a little bit more, what's the right word? A little bit more human. Right. I think we've all forgotten that the last couple of years have really taken it out of all of us and showing up with a little bit more empathy and approaching work a little bit differently is really important. Now, that might sound soft. Now, anybody who's worked with me will tell you I'm far from soft. You know, for me, it's about the business and the strategy and the output of the organization. But doing that in a way that meets people where they're at right now is really important. Like Asking the simple question, how are you? It's changed. I mean, it's, it's, it's really important. And it's changed the way I work. I used to get on coaching calls and meetings. And the first thing I say, okay, help me understand what's going on in the business. And people would look at me during COVID and when they were working from home and after they just laid off tens of thousands of people and they're like, ah, ah I don't even know what's going on in the business because I'm dealing with today. Right. And the reality was it was just too much. If you just have to ask the question, how are you? And then we can roll into it. And that's the same thing that I think bosses need to remember right now. It's just, we all need a little bit of grace. We need to give each other a little grace. We need a little grace. It's just important to remember what we've made it through from from a business perspective. And I think that's sound too because, you know, once they just saw a little bit of the COVID relief and they started taking the mask mandates away and all that, I know our business just was slammed running, right? Let's get as much done as possible. Let's move as fast as possible, get our deliverables, all this stuff. I don't care if you can't get the parts through the supply chain, you know, let's <laughs> <laughs> Figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
They're staying in a warehouse somewhere. <laughs> but no, that's good. So uh, we're going to switch subjects just a little bit. So can you expand on the culture war and how that shapes leadership skills and how you coach women executives to handle that? Well, why don't you define culture war? Um, how to navigate through different cultures and, and what's happening now with all the DEI focus and, um, you know, making sure we have the emerging leaders moving through and all of that. So how, I guess it goes a little bit back to what you just said, but how do you coach your women executives to handle that, to handle all the changes that are coming through in the leadership areas? Yeah. So it's really just focused on change and agility, recognizing that um, we all bring something different to the table. And even when our intention is something different, being open and willing to learn and engage is really important. So it's taking a step back, listening, learning, asking good questions and stop focused on trying to be right all the time. When I think it comes to the equity and the diversity and inclusion, it's really just about listening, learning and being open to doing better and doing things differently because things, things are different. Things impact on business, the way we engage expectations, all of it is different. And I think diversity of thought and bringing things to the table and shepherding diversity of thought in a very real way is important. And it's not something that a lot of very, very senior leaders have done a whole heck of a lot of. So understanding hey, I've got these generations that are new, newer to the workforce. And they think about the language that we use, the behaviors that we that we take, the actions that show up differently. And do I spend the time to understand what that looks like? Do I listen? Do I learn? Do I ask questions? And then do I create the space for them to engage, provide feedback, tell me when I'm off, and then, yeah, and then really roll with it. And what are you hearing from that? I mean, I think that's so amazing what you're saying, but you know what? I think expediting on it is yeah. executing is a little bit harder. So what are you hearing when people are? I, I'm hearing that it's really hard <laughs> and it's really scary. And there's a lot of room to get it really wrong. Right. And that's a piece that I work with younger generations on or others is like, make a little bit of space for people to try things, get it wrong and create that culture and environment where you can have open conversations and dialogue when we do get it wrong. I do think leaders right now are nervous about trying these things, engaging differently and missing the mark. It's scary. It's different. So creating that space to get it wrong, creating the culture that allows for the two-way feedback, and then creating the opportunity for groups to collaborate so we can figure out what actually works, what actually makes sense, and what creates that diversity of thought and the richness associated with it. For sure. For sure. So uh, so you were selected as a member of the Marshall and Goldsmith 100 Coaches, and you've co-authored articles on employee resource groups, diversity, equity, and inclusion, leadership. What are, what are a few takeaways that we can share with our listeners here? Yeah. So I would say the first thing is, is across the board, leadership is hard. One, recognize you're not alone. Hire and develop the right people and always feel free and make sure you're listening, asking questions, um, and, and moving forward in a way that's in the spirit of learning. You do those things, you're ahead of the game. That's wonderful. So I'm kind of interested. So can you kind of take us through your career and how you got into coaching? Because I know when I was looking back through your bio and so forth, you also ran the Center of Effective Organization, CEO at the Marshall School of Business. Um, so I'd be interested in hearing that. But just kind of give the audience a little overview of your background and how you ended up doing what you're doing. Yeah. Spirit of transparency. I fell right into it. <laughs> 
So love that. (laughs) Yeah. So nothing ever. I talked a lot about intentionality. There was nothing intentional about this. Um, So I was working in my hometown of San Diego, and I was working with with a really great gentleman who cared very much about my development. He's a former Disney executive, um, and he got a call from a recruiter. And the recruiter said, there's this company in L.A. looking for early career professionals that um, we can teach human capital. Okay, And he said, hey, you want to give, you know, give this a go? I know this where you spent some time in L.A. It sounded like you wanted to get back there. I said, sure. And this was before you could like go online and Google the heck out of a company. And it was this company called Personnel Decisions International, PDI, now acquired by Cord Ferry. Yeah, and you probably had to mail your stuff to them. <laughs> yeah, you had to mail your stuff. So I'm looking online, trying to find it. I have no idea what they do. Um, I, I'm like, well, they look legitimate. They're in Century City. That's a big building. So I drive out to Los Angeles, and I'm there for a week. I go full through a full battery of assessment. So this is what CEOs of very big companies would go through when they're getting hired. So cognitive interviews, um, role plays, all of these things. A lot to put on a young interview. <laughs> very young. I was like 22. It was it was crazy. And I was like, this company is crazy. I don't know what is happening right now, but I'm just going to keep going. Um, at the end of the week, they offered me the job. I called headquarters and I said, hi, I'm a potential client. Can you help me understand what you do? And I didn't get a good answer. And I went home to San Diego and I said, I'm moving to LA. And I had no idea what I was getting into. But the great news was, is I came up to LA and I learned that this was a very real company. And I learned that this was a very real profession and I loved it. So very, very early on, I started coaching executives. I was trained by David Peterson, um, who many will say, along with Marshall, is one of the founders of executive coaching. So basically, they were looking for business people that could translate the thought leadership of the organization to professionals in LA that Unfortunately, they were having a really hard time connecting with. So I spent eight years learning everything about human capital, um, leadership development, coaching, multi-rater, competency work, all of it, and loved every second of it and never looked back. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Awesome. So um, you've had some interesting podcast guests too, I saw when I was looking over your stuff. So, you know, we had Jeff Hasler on C-Suite Talk yeah. and you introduced us to him and he was fabulous. And I saw you had Matthew Lippman and Sharon Dill. Um, what are some key takeaways you've taken from some of your podcast guests that you'd like to share? Yeah, because everyone in your radius is awesome. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, and that's why we've gotten to know each other because you are awesome as well. So um, I'm very excited to have connected with your group. Um, some takeaways, some takeaways, I think, from all of those podcasts are, you know, the amazing leaders that I work with, they have all experienced bumps and bruises. They have learned, they have failed, they have had huge amounts of success. Um, and they've gotten through it and gotten to it with hard work, tenacity, and grit and the willingness to get it wrong and the willingness to figure it out. And every single one of them has that in common. Oh, that's fabulous. Interesting. Do you, do you think they all have like a bigger mission in their life that they're working towards? You know, they probably do. I haven't thought about that, but every person that was on that podcast, that's probably why I was attracted to them right out of the gate for season one. So they do. So I think, and it's different for all of them. I mean, so you've got Linda who puts great, amazing technology into the world that makes all of our lives easier. You have Shannon who puts content into the world that helps you understand what other people are experiencing. Jeff, same thing, content that makes us smile that we want to watch and we can learn a little bit something from Matt, I mean, come on, the the work that he does 
literally changes the world with 90, 97%. I mean, he's, he's, he's amazing. So yes, when actually, when you ask that question, they all do have a bigger purpose. And this is a, it was a really good aha. Cause I probably haven't thought about that before, but that's probably why I was attracted to, to talk more and dig in a bit more. Yeah. It's fun to have fun guests. So when we look at 2023, with all of the economy issues and the world struggles and the changing workforce, what do you see you're going to focus on and, and enlighten or help your leaders deal with? Yeah. So anytime there's a downturn, recognizing, developing, and keeping your talent is critical. It's too expensive to change them out. The organizations put puts hiring freezes in place. So if they do go, it's hard to replace them. So ultimately, it's about leadership. You need to lead and be bold when the economy is great. And there's very room, very little room for error when the economy is in a downturn. So with my leaders, it's going to be all about talent. And then I want to spend some more time um, doing some speaking. And I, I do some things with some universities, but really helping Gen Z uh, that's entering the workforce, think about work a little bit differently. So this is a generation who has only experienced work in a, in a positive upswing economy. That allows for a lot of choice, right? Um, if the economy keeps doing what it's doing, that choice goes away. The decisions that they make are different and they have a bigger impact. I've heard, and I can't recall the article, but I've heard that this was the the first generation at the numbers that they've had that have left jobs without having a job, right? So think about that. Mm, yeah, I think people find it's not that easy though. <laughs> they, they think that that better job's out there and yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's gonna change. So helping them think about doing things differently, still aligning with values, still setting expectations, still having that balance, but how do they do that with the lens of the organization and the lens of themselves? Very, very interesting. I, you know, I, I don't think it's that easy for those entering the workplace right now. You know, a lot of them are living at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> failure, not even failure to launch. It's like the housing costs are so expensive in every major city, right? Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, and then I think finding those opportunities that are career right out of college are tough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And I think it's only going to get harder. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why you need a good network, by the way. Mm. <laughs> community. You need a strong community around you to help you figure out who knows who to get you where you're going. Yeah, it was actually funny. I was speaking with a university, and this is a university in the South, and most of the students on, so I was a couple of classes back to back to back for three weeks. And a couple of the students, actually most of the students uh, were first time, first generation college students, as am I. And I went to the first class and these, these, and they're kids to me, but they're not kids. These young adults were like, oh my goodness, you know, the people that you're connected with, your network, the work that you do, this is amazing. I'm like, wow, thanks guys. I'm glad that you're excited, energized by it. I come back the next week. So you guys were full of compliments. You loved the network. You loved who I work with. Three of you out of a class of 60 connected with me on LinkedIn. Three. How do, how do we think about doing this differently? What is the network you're willing, you're going to build? I am here. I'm offering you my help. Yeah. And I'll tell you why they were afraid. They were afraid to connect with you. They were intimidated to, for whatever reason. So that's what you have to work past. And that was the conversation and it let it have, let us have that conversation real time. So you're going to school, you're getting this great job, this education, you're looking for this great opportunities. I'm sitting here telling you I'm going to help. Now here's where you got to meet me in the middle. Yeah. So the number went up between the last class. I think I only missed six students. It was pretty good. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's great. For sure. 
that all worked out. So Lacey Leon McLaughlin, president of LLM Consulting Group. How does anybody find you? Yeah. So um, Lacey at LLMCG, my phone number, if you put in my name, it pops right up. And my website is LLMCG.com. So I'm quite easy to find and feel free to reach out if there's something I can do to help you with or you just want to think out loud. Well, thank you for being our guest today and thank you to our listeners. We appreciate you so much. We'd like to invite you, each of you, to get active in C-Suite, c-suite.org. Just jump in, start swimming, become a member, start attending events, build a community, build a network. That's what we're all about. So, Beth, do you want to thank our sponsors? Yeah, sure. Thank you to all our sponsors that make these possible. Google, RSM, an accounting firm, Manette, a law firm, City National Bank, in our public group, a media advertising PR company, as well as Amplified Professional Services. So thank you for listening and look for us on all the places that you get your podcast from, Apple, Spotify, etc. Leave us a review and come out and find us on www.cswet.org. We have fabulous virtual and in-person events and we look forward to networking with you and don't be shy. Thank you again for listening. Thank you, Lacey. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure.